0: Of the game podcast. I'm your host Craig Farkerson, and today I'm joined by um, longtime uh, associate Kane Lindsay. Hello, Craig. And longtime associate Thomas McCaffrey. Hello. And first time uh, joining on the podcast, Gavin Murphy.
1: Hi, Craig. Good to be here.
0: Today we're going to start off by talking about the derbies of the week, the, the three city derbies in the Scottish leagues. So that is, of course, the Old Firm, the Edinburgh Derby, and the Dundee Derby. Um, Who would like to go first? Who wants to talk about the Old Firm Derby first? Because I know we've got Celtic and Rangers fans in here, so...
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe be quiet for uh, 10 minutes. Let's give Gavin this uh, this this little spell to gloat.
1: So, I, I wouldn't go as far as gloating just yet. It's still quite a long bit of the season to go. But um, I don't think that Derby could have went any better for Celtic, to be honest. Um, even in the wildest predictions, I didn't see his 3-0 up at half-time. Uh, to a man, pretty much. The entire 11 put out all got eights or nines across the board, and Rangers just weren't really at it at all. Uh, within the first couple of minutes, you could see Celtics, uh, the passing was so quick, just so, so alert. And you could see the game plan straight away. They wanted to attack. But um, Rangers just seemed to get it all wrong. Uh, very passive. Uh, couldn't put up with a wing player a or a badder. Um And to be honest, I expect a bit more from them. Uh, Kemp was quiet. Aribo didn't have his best game either. And I can't believe that they've thrown away that six-point lead. I, I genuinely can't believe that after the winter break, it's all went wrong again. Uh, not to be too happy about it. Uh, what about you, uh, Kane? I know you do have a... Do you have anything to say on the derby?
2: <laughs> Nothing positive, but uh, no, like, seriously, Celtic were incredible. It was... It was boys against men. The intensity they played—it was just, was just fantastic. On, on, you know, from a, a Celtic perspective, even from a neutral perspective, uh, with that just incredible crowd, you know, like early in the morning, it was, it was ridiculously noisy. It was crazy. Uh, we were saying that before we started. That it's, it's by far the biggest derby in, in, uh, in Britain, perhaps even in Europe. Um, Craig's. <laughs> shaking his head, thinking Denz was pretty electric, but uh, no Parkhead was just it was just bouncing, and and Rangers just simply couldn't deal with it. I mean, you think about last season and when they when they walked through the whole the whole league uh, undefeated, and you know I think a large part of that people are now realising was because there was no fans there. So You go into Parkhead and there's nobody there. Celtic aren't they aren't going to play at that intensity because of you, know, you feel like they're only playing that that quick and that back to football because the fans are there urging them on and they were on to Rangers every time Kent had the ball and slipped up, they were right on his back and it's just difficult to play against that. Um, I actually said to one of my friends, he's a Rangers fan, that it was a really, really good job that Alfredo Morelos wasn't there because I know exactly what that man would have done within about 10 minutes of that game with that crowd on him and just not getting the ball uh, because Roof didn't get much um, in the way of chances or anything. It It was dominant, it was scary, but it's you go to Parkhead, like I said, with a crowd like that, you expect maybe not to come away with the result you want. But when you go to Ross County, you need to be thinking about winning. You know, you need to win those games, and especially when you take an early lead. Uh, the young lads from Man United, Diallo, um, a brilliant start his debut. But it's those results. It's like that a couple of years ago uh, when the league kind of um, was ended abruptly.
1: Uh, was it the result against Dundee just before COVID hit?
2: Was yeah, it? It was, and uh, Hamilton losing it, Ibrox to Hamilton, Tom yeah. like that. Um, just results like that, just don't. You're not going to win the league if you do that. I mean, it's. If you look at like uh, Liverpool last season. Like, they, they lost one game. Obviously, it was uh, sorry the the year they won the league. They lost one game at uh, Watford, and you no, know, it wasn't a fantastic result. But you need to go to these places and and, and win. You can't you can't go to Ross County and, and not pick up three points when you're. You're trying to challenge the title and uh, him, the, the worst thing is after the game had finished and me and my mate were sitting there kind of dejected with our pint I, I thought I would alert him to the fact that in exactly two weeks Erlen Haaland will be playing against Bassey and Golsan so.
1: oh, I I, I don't pity ease at all. Um, <laughs> no, I'm very happy with maybe, um, the game against the... Bodo <laughs> Um Do you think uh, the result against the way that that county result happened and then the way that Celtic obviously got the points at Dundee United. Do you think that might have had an effect on the game? Like just the way that it's swung so
2: quickly. Yeah, it definitely gave gave Celtic that optimism going into it, knowing that if they won they would, you know, sit top of the league. And you could tell straight from the start that they set out on a mission to, to get back to the top of the league. You know, back to where the, the fans think they belong, which is obviously challenging more than they did last season. Um, definitely at the fact that we're down to 10 men against United at the weekend still managed to to find the, the winner late on and yeah, I don't think if that had happened I think if it had been a stalemate and you went into this game not being able to top the league it, it might not have been as fierce an approach from Celtic but still, it's been coming for a little while to be honest, that's, that's the, the bad thing I think even at the start of the season we discussed, I I thought Rangers had the league in the bag if Gerrard had stayed, but the the performances were starting to dip. Went to Dundee United and lost, something that just didn't happen last season. Again, you go to these places expecting to win, but yeah, that that result definitely set Celtic up to go and just, I mean, it it was an annihilation of Rangers and 3-0, the the thing is, that's really, really flattering for Rangers.
1: Yeah, Al McGregor had a great game. It could have been five by half-time. Celtic as well has been expecting a rebuilding year. Um, I didn't. I would have been happy to win maybe the League Cup, Scottish Cup yeah. this year, and then mount a challenge next year. But to see us top of the league with what is it, fourteen games to go? Yeah,
2: there's uh, not many now.
1: Could not. I couldn't have imagined that. Uh, I would like to say Ryan Jack had a really good game for Rangers when he came on. Uh, yeah. I feel like he was probably just standout performer out with McGregor. Yeah,
2: he was an. That was the thing towards the end of the game. Rangers were dominant because Celtic had done their bit. Uh, it's just the way Celtic have been this season—they've been leaking leaking the odd goal now and again, even though they have been, um, you know, firing them in, which obviously they did the other day. But uh, by that point, it was just too late, and it wasn't—it wasn't, it wasn't half the for Rangers. Obviously, they a good opportunity off the bar uh, from Jack, and um, yeah, McGregor was fantastic, but not a lot of positives to take from that. And then going into Sunday's game against Hearts, it's a big game as well. Um, Suter missed the game for Hearts at, uh, at Hibs midweek, but I wasn't entirely sure if he was if he was back fit, if he'd be allowed to play, so with him signing the pre-contract. But um, it's not an easy game to go into for Rangers Hearts at all. Um, but yeah, just I'm losing sleep over the thought of playing against Haaland and Royce, so we've got that to come still.
3: I have to admit, although the two of you think that McGregor had a good game, I was shocked by how poorly I thought he played. Like, the shots that he saved were straight at him or within reaching distance above his head. The goalkeeper then, like the other night, is not the same keeper who got us through the penalty shootout against Serbia to go to the Euros. He's not the same keeper who got a draw against England for us. I was
1: embarrassed watching him play. I think that was David Marshall, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's not the same keeper. It's a different <laughs> guy.
0: not the same keeper as David Marshall.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to go back to being quiet.
2: Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Uh, that was great. Yeah, I was
0: just thinking that there. I was like, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think we got a at that point. <laughs> no, no, he, he has he a good record for Scotland when he was playing in the goal. I'll give you that.
2: Yeah, um, he, he was thinking against the uh, Ross County. I mean, he pretty much threw in the first goal. The defending was was quite good against Ross County as well, but no, I thought McGregor was not back his best, but certainly saved it from
1: the double save he had was, nothing. was great. He did a great double save, I think, from Jacques mm. Marcus uh, mm. was on the rebound, which I thought that probably was probably his best save. Oh, yeah, de- definitely.
0: Right, shall we move on to the Edinburgh City Derby, which was a absolutely scintillating 0 0? Yep.
2: Actually, not not a terrible 0-0. Again, it's one of those ones where the atmosphere was that electric that kind of got you through it. There were chances for either side. I think Hearts had the better of the chances. They seemed to to probably play the better football. I like their attacking duo. Uh, Ellis Sims, the young guy on on loan from Everton, and Liam Boyce up front looked really dangerous. Um, Sims had a a few chances. He had one... Through uh, Barry McKay, thread the ball through. It was an excellent ball from Barry McKay, who has looked the player for Hearts this season, uh, and he just he couldn't help but um, hit it against the Hibs goalkeeper Dabrowski, He was making his debut and actually really impressed. Um, but yeah, Hearts, Hearts had the better of the chances, and um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was one of those ones. I think you might have thought it was no no before it. It was an entertaining game, but uh, I don't know. I think, did- they did have an indirect free
0: kick, which is very really unusual to see. Well, obviously nowadays in football, do you think it was a
2: pass
1: back? And no, yeah, so do Debr- well, so it was uh, Dabrowski basically. It was a pass back, and he just fell on the ball because it was going to go in. Uh, a smart decision, um, but I think I put in the group chat when the indirect <laughs> free kick happened, and I was just like, "When does anything ever happen from them?" Nine <laughs> times out of ten, it just hits the first man. Though. It did come off his hand when he blocked it, so it could have been a penalty. Uh, to be honest, yeah. there was a couple of shouts for a penalty in the game, uh, both for Hearts. But...
2: Yeah, they were, they were both against Stevenson as well, who's uh, obviously he's been quite, you know, a recent legend for Hibbs. So I suppose I don't know where he will be uh, standing stead at the end of his career, but yeah, there was two penalty shouts against him. One where he charged into the Sims, one with a handball from the indirect free the kick, but. Those ones that the handball was so close—and I know that they make the argument about where your hand should be, um, should be down by your side or behind your back, but it was—it was too close. But um, no, do uh, you not know, think though, Gavin, it, it had—he it, actually got praised for it, Debraski, because it was—it had to be done. He had to save it, otherwise it could have been a big danger. Um, normally a goalkeeper kind of gets um, hauled up for, you know, giving away an indirect free kick, but I feel like he—he he had to make the save.
1: Yeah, it's. It's one of those moments where he could have just been caught out sort of not wanting to pick it up because it's obviously going to give away the indirect free kick, but he's made the right decision. Uh, I thought he had a great game all round. Uh, uh, The interview afterwards as well, he was emotional uh, just to get the chance to play. Uh, Handsome boy as well. He's very very handsome for a goalkeeper. Um, I think I read that in the...
2: I dad played in goal for our growth reserves for a few years. I'll have to to let him know that (laughs) <laughs> Goalkeepers are normally not known as being very handsome.
1: Well, I read that in the paper today. I think it was um, he was on loan. I can't remember where it was he was on loan. But whoever the manager was said, he's um, a good boy. I always told me he should have be been a movie star. He's too handsome to be a goalie.
2: Good acting performance at the end. He, he was very emotional. You could tell he, he enjoyed getting his chance. And What better game to get it than in an Edinburgh Derby and keep it a clean sheet?
1: Yeah. Jinky can Jinky maybe nail down that number one shot.
2: Uh, I think he'd be good, yeah. I've not, I've not actually seen much of Hibbs this season, but um, going off of what I saw from, from him, he certainly looked good. And if, if he can step up when needed, um could have a bit of a Emmy Martinez deal on his hands, but if he doesn't get a start, he can go and, and show elsewhere that he's he's capable.
1: He's the reason it was not an each because Sims had a great game, and he could have a couple of great chances, chances and he, he was the only thing that denied
2: him. Yeah, Sims was excellent, wasn't he? I, I thought he was brilliant. Uh, obviously, he had a few chances one on one, but he, I mean, you, he hit the target, and that's what you get asked to do. That's what you get to told to do as a striker. So he had hit the target every time, yeah. and, and forced course, the saves at Nebraska. But um, I mean, they
0: very,
2: very Yeah, he did. He, he really did. Um, yeah, they've, they've got a decent, a decent on their hands here, yeah. but well, until until May at least.
0: Now we'll go into the the biggest derby of the week, of course. The biggest derby in world football. The closest two teams in the world, uh, geographically. It's Dundee versus Dundee United. I was at this game, and it was just, for me, being in the atmosphere, it was blood and thunder. Like, it was feisty, it was hard-hitting. Out of all the derbies, it had the most fouls of all the derbies this week. It had 30 fouls, whereas the old firm only had 24. Uh, and I think the Hearts-Hibs one had about 26. Um, the game as a whole, the first half was, was a bit of a drab affair. It was like n- no team wanted to get the ball down and play football. It was, like right, they've obviously got their shape. We'll try a long ball over the top. If that doesn't work, we'll get back into shape. And then they'll try a long ball over the top. There was one chance in the first half that came to Dundee, and that was a cross, I believe, from Niall McGinn. And he played it to Paul McMillan, and if anybody's ever seen Paul McMillan, he is the smallest player in the world, and he managed to somehow outjump the towering Dundee United centre backs, and the I would probably say the best goalkeeper in the league, Benjamin Seacrest, pulled off an amazing save. Uh, and then after that, the second half when the second half came out, it was. I thought Dundee had the better of the second half for the majority. Of it. So it was about 20-25 minutes at the start of the second half. Dundee seemed to be right up for it. It was a bit where United you know, were on the wall, uh, on the ropes. Um, Dundee had two shots cleared off the line, one of which I'm pretty sure the defender kicked off the back of the goalkeeper. Normally that would go in, and then after that, the, the, basically what happened after that was I think we uh, took off Charlie Adam. Uh, and once we'd lost Charlie Adam and went four four two, there was it was a, only like a 5-10 minute spell after that but then I thought United pinned us back because they brought on Pollitt and at that point we had brought on a centre back to play uh, against him and Pollitt just every time ran past John McGee ran past John McGee and then United started to create chances and um, it was really, at that point, you only thought that United were going to win because it was like the last 10-15 minutes of the game, United had pinned, uh, pinned Dundee back in their own half. United had two really good opportunities during this, one of which was a corner, came in at the near post. Uh, I don't know, who, I couldn't see who volleyed it, but the boy was about uh, eight yards out and he volleyed it and it went over the bar. And another one, I think, was created by Paulette, and it came in Nicky Clark, and he was about eight yards out. I think he turned and he shot and he skied it over the bar. So United ended the game with zero shots on target, but probably the two best chances. And Dundee were unlucky in the sense that uh, Seagrass made a good save and they had two cleared off the line. But as a whole, like it was, it was, a, it, was an, it was an okay game. But I think because it was a derby and there was like a lot of hard tackling in that. Um, there was thinking, there should have been more yellow cards in the game I thought the referee who was really really card shy just looking at the game in general so overall a draw is probably the best result but unfortunately it's put Dundee at the bottom of the
2: league I was going to say it's kind of bittersweet because when you look at the table it's only on goal difference but you are currently at the bottom after a hard-fought point in a derby uh, in an emotional game I, I noticed you got about half an hour at your new sign in how did how did he look?
0: Oh, the, well, we had that, we were playing one up front for the majority of the game, and it was Danny Mullen, and Danny Mullen's the biggest United centre-backs, and he yeah. had a torrid time of, like, Dundee fans were seeming to blame him for not holding up the ball, but when you're putting the ball up to somebody who's, like, versus a three striker and you're only 5'10", you're not going to win many flick-ons, you're not going to yeah. win many headers, and the lack of support he got... When Rudden came on, Rudden's 6-3. So it was more of an even match. So Rudden started winning flick-ons and then Mullen was getting behind a bit more and there was a bit more support there. But like I say, uh, I'm, I'm excited for him. I think if he gets a couple of goals because it was one of his chances that was cleared off the line uh, by one of the United defenders. So it's just like, hopefully he can get, uh, hit the ground running because now Dundee have let go of Lee Griffiths, let go of Jason Cummins... We've only got two strikers, which is which isn't yeah, good. You're
2: need a uh, wee bit more
0: support. We've got about 400 centre midfielders. I mean, we're doing no bad in the centre, metre, centre midfielder position, but it's basically now we've got to rely on goals from elsewhere. So we need Paul McMullen, who's the second, uh, second or third highest assist in the league, which is a real shock for a team that are bottom the league to have somebody creating yeah. with like six assists this year. Um, he, um, he, he needs to start contributing goals. Neil McGinn needs to start contributing goals. Um, Mullen works really hard, but he needs to start scoring. There's, there's a lot of stuff. like It's three clean sheets for Dundee in the last three games. But if we're not scoring goals, because the only goal we scored was a penalty, and yeah. um, that was that was against a button.
2: And it's the only so, statistic that counts, is it, at the end of the day? is just a goal. Yeah.
0: Um, I noticed in, the, in cleans- your lineups,
2: you, you said you had Mullen starting up front um supporting them obviously either wing. You've got McMullen who is who is quite a quite a workhorse. He's, he's a really good dribbler of the ball. Uh, McGinn on the other side and then Charlie Adams sitting behind uh Mullen. If you know McGinn, what mid thirties, <laughs> Adam mid-30s, uh, I think McMullen's a bit younger to be fair. <laughs> if you're playing in a game where you're under a lot of pressure, which I don't think you you were by the center thing uh, against United, but you know, against some of the bigger teams it's maybe not the best approach having these older guys. I can't imagine you can counter attack at pace. And what's it, what's it like, is Dundee? Do you, do you have to kind of be patient,
0: that, you no? Know, that's like see the issue that we have is if we get the ball down on the on the park, <coughs> I think we play good football, and we might play some of the best football you'll see because uh, when Dundee are flowing, they're really really good to watch. But the problem with that is. Like, we we do lack a counter-attack, like, especially, like, in the last um 15 minutes of that match. Like, we went, again, we had gone 4-4-2. McMullen had, like, worth his socks off and tried to create a lot of chances and stuff like that. And then we had brought on McCowan at that point, And there was just, like, a lack of pace and a lack of way for us to, like, push up the park because our two centre midfielders at that point were Anderson and Byrne and... Anderson's a box-to-box, but at that point, I think after like 70 minutes, he's shot, but he is still really, really young. Yeah. So it was just basically like, there is no way for like the midfield, uh, like for the team to move forward. And then it was basically like trying to punt balls up to, to run to see if he could hold up for a bit. It was maybe maybe one chance we created with Mullen. Uh, he probably should have crossed it, but he shot and he blazed it high-wide and not very handsome. So it's... It's difficult. There is a lot of problems in this Dundee team. I think the sign-ins have improved us, but like even even then, I'm I'm, I'm pretty much every year Dundee get put in the Premier League now. It's like, right, I'll go say yeah, um, we're gonna go we'll be back down. We'll see
2: what happens. So you know we'll be tearing your hair out by you know Easter or something. Eh? Oh, I mean if we normally we're down by Easter, so for any
0: <laughs> <laughs> by then okay, I say we can get a, at this point. I would take eleventh and then maybe be like um win the teams from the championship in the playoffs. Like that's like that, that, that that'd be a successful season for me. I know we're still in yeah. the Scottish Cup and we we'll have a favourable draw against Peter Head. Um so like if we can win that and get another favourable draw and get to Hamden, those are the ones that, that's that, it Dundee hasn't been to Hamden since about two thousand and six when we lost to Gretna 3-0. Yeah. So yeah. this
2: it's
0: that I say I, I don't think like United have got much to worry about. I think the Senate Tony Watt um he looks like he'll be an absolute nightmare for teams to play against, because United played two, two up-top all game. Him and Clark uh, worked well, linked well together. I think in a couple of weeks' time, when they properly understand each other, yeah. I think that'll they be really dangerous. And plus, United have got like, a good strength in depth. They bring off Paul off the bench, and like he's, he's versing Jordan McGee in a, in a, in a running battle. Like, you're really, you're, yeah. United will be fine, because I know they've been on a a downward slope, but I think they'll turn around in the next couple of weeks because, I mean, they were unlucky against Celtic and on another day, they could have beat Dundee, but it was just yeah. one of those things.
1: Do, do you worry at all about um, St. Johnson looking like they're turning the corner and then Ross County have been underperforming all season as well, so do you worry that it could just get away from you very quickly? Our
0: next few games, I think we've got St. Mon. Who are one of the only teams we've beaten this year, and Ross County. Ross County, we were, we went up. I think we went up to Dingwall with a three-one lead, and then they brought it back to three-all, and they absolutely hammered us 4 0 at Dens. So, yeah, you know, um, I'm waiting to see what the St Johnston like signings do because the player I was worried about, who's injured just now, is Nadir Chifchi um, because he's an old Dundee, basically right? <laughs> like an old Dundee rival. He loves playing against Dundee because um, he was the, he I think he he bit uh, a Dundee player in one of the in the derbies years and years ago. So uh, if he gets on fire and, and then they've, they've sent a couple more players, they seem to be they seem to really go for it in January. So like Dundee and St Johnston have went out and bought a ton of players to avoid relegation. Uh, I, I really hope it doesn't work for them because they're such a good defensive unit when they need to be. But it's it's going to be it's going to be tight, I think. I think the title race in the Scottish Premier League uh, between Silicon Rangers and Dundee and St Johnston could go right down to the wire. Well, I'm hoping there's a Dundee find that goes down to the wire and we're not done by Easter. <laughs> <laughs> with,
1: What's the say, relegation version of a helicopter Sunday? Uh, Is
0: it like a moving spoon-
1: va- they just
0: end yeah, um, yeah. down there. Yeah. The a fire sale Sunday, in which we've just got, have <laughs> <laughs> had to sell like half the team because we're now playing the championship.
2: Um when you you pointed out uh, Dundee's issues with striker, so it makes a big difference. Um, just looking there at St Johnston, Cici is injured. Obviously, like you said, uh, when he comes back, he will be a problem, and he's used to playing in the top half of the league when United were you know, thriving with, like, Goldie, Suter on their side, uh, even Andy Robertson. N- now you look at it, so they've got Chief G out, but they've also got Callum Henry who scored uh, midweek. We've got Stevie May who, who used to score for fun and who you just know knows where the net is. Uh, Dundee United, they've obviously got no problem with McNulty and, and Clark up front, and Tony Watt, the second-top scorer in the league. It's it, it does come down to not scoring goals, obviously. You don't score goals, you don't win games. But I think... That would be my main concern for you. If you're on about all these clean sheets, fair enough. But you need to start you need to start firing them in and do you have much confidence in Mullen and, and Rudden to you know get you maybe ten goals to now at the end of the season or?
0: Rudden maybe. Um because again when he came on for that half an hour, he looked dangerous and he was causing the United centre backs a lot of problems. But it because it depends on how we play, because I think Rudden needs somebody up with him. And I think Mullen needs somebody up with him. But if we do that, I think we lose shape if we go four four two. So we might have to look at maybe going three at the back, and then because most of most of our players, like if we have three centre midfielders, I feel like is where our where we'll be good at because like I say Charlie Adam can whip a ball in, and enough that you've got like loads, loads of other people. But if you're doing that, like you take away like Neil McGinn would have to come off because we'd have to play a wing back. And the boy yeah. from Leicester City that we just signed looks like he'd be a good wing-back. In the first half, he not he didn't look good defensively at times. But going forward, he not made the two United boys and put in a couple of OK crosses. And that was his first game for us. So it's, it's interesting to see where my pick goes. We have played three at the back before and two up top. But if we play run, I do think that we need to start being more adventurous we need yeah. to start like especially like we're a way play Sitting man or a way to play Ross County we need to get because I said at the start we need to get like seven points from those games because yeah. those are the teams in the bottom league because Dundee have only taken I think it might be three points off the bottom six teams this year which is yeah. a standard start
2: and it's, it's like with what I'm saying about Rangers when you go to Ross County you need to win these games um, Super bread and Butter games at Ross County and you know, team, teams like Dundee, you need to to win these games and you are going to mount a title <laughs> challenge. You guys need to beat what's around you, and you need to beat. You know, don't get too disheartened If you go uh, Ibrox and you go to Parkhead and you and you get annihilated, it's just it's kind of what happens. It's what to happen. Even with Audrey. I'm used, used to. to I'm, going, I'm, I'm very much. used to, like I'm used to that. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what's coming. These games are Ross County, Saint Mirren, or Saint Johnston. These are your cup finals for the between now and the rest of the season, and you need to win these. And yeah, I just. I just hope you can get scored on that, because it's great to have a, a Dundee derby. It's all the derbies are wonderful to have, and um, I've actually been lucky enough to go to a game myself, but a Dundee derby would be a, a brilliant experience, so as long as it can stay in the league, and that's what we want. Um, and Ross County's yeah. miles away, so why not just relegate them?
0: Yeah no no that's no I'm not very much the same I want I want the derbies to stay because they're very much like a focal point in the year because you normally get three maybe four it depends if United get in the top six or not and yeah. to be fair I, at this point in time I'd rather United you know, going to the top six because I don't want them to relegate us at Denz so you know that <laughs> that, 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 that that is a very Dundee thing to do is relegate United at Denz and then get relegated like three four years later at Denz from United. Um, shall we move on and talk about our next topic for today, which is we'll this upcoming Six up Nations. The, ...the win at Twickenham last year. Uh, are they favourites for this game? Oh, think? I think they'd be red hot, mate. What makes you say that then? Because of what you said, they won They won the last game, they had a great autumn series. Yeah, they had a, a win against Australia, a good win against Tonga, and they beat Japan. Um, and the number of players they got in the Lions uh, uh, team indicates they're probably two years ahead of us in terms of their development. Um, but we're a, we're a very young team, so, a very good team. What? Who are the favourites of the Six Nations, and does Scotland have any chance of winning
1: it? Well, the favourites are France, I'd say, and um, they've got a great squad. Um, they actually came within a game of winning it last year. Uh, they had uh, Scotland in the last game; it was a rearranged game because of COVID, and all they had to do was beat them with a bonus point. Uh, Scotland, of course, with nothing to play for, decided to beat France uh, because that's what Scotland can do. Uh, when it doesn't matter, we can turn it on. Um, but all of the teams have a realistic chance, uh, except for Italy, of course, who are on a massive losing run. They've lost 32 straight games in the Six Nations. And since the bonus point was brought in for being within... Uh, If you're within seven points of the team and you lose, you get an extra bonus point. Italy's only received one of those as well, in in those games, so they've only been within a try once, so they are completely discounted. Uh, um, But all the rest of the teams realistically, they're in with a chance. England always do well in the Six Nations. Uh, They've won it more than any other team. Uh, Ireland have a great squad. Uh, It's ageing a little bit, but um, they definitely will put in a performance. Wales um, are on a down year, but that's exactly what we said of them last year. Uh, we said that they were going to have a bad tournament, not play well. Uh, they went on to win the whole thing. Um, so, and then you come to Scotland. Scotland's been a dark horse uh, in the tournament for many years now. Uh, every every tournament, it's always oh Scotland could do well in this. It could be the year they make that step up. Um, if we are going to make that step up, though, uh, we will have to with some really hard games against uh, the Irish, against the French, and the English in the Calcutta Cup in the first game. But realistically, I feel like you can expect Scotland to maybe finish second, which would be represent the highest finish ever in the tournament. But all all in all, it's going to be a very tight tournament. I uh, can see teams, I uh, don't see a grand slam for any team. I could see it, uh, um, teams sort of going tit for tat. Uh, I know Thomas wanted to break uh, a bit about the uh, Irish side. Uh,
3: yeah, so I have to say to start off, I agree with you. I think second place for Scotland is a realistic... Uh, when I look at it game against England tomorrow I can see Scotland taking it Um, England are without Owen Farrell so I, d- I don't really see them having all that much experience going into the competition Um, and he's not expected to play at all which is quite nice for me as an Irish fan uh, I, I don't like to say I enjoy seeing someone be injured but you know, I'm kind of verging on it. Um, I think Ireland have a very realistic chance of winning the tournament overall. Um, we've got a new player who's making his debut tomorrow called Mark Hansen, a uh, 23-year-old Australian. Uh, he's playing for Connacht. Uh, he's played 10 games this season. He's scored six tries, and from that, he's gotten his 30 points. Uh, James Hume will be on the bench tomorrow um but he may come on to make his second cap uh his first cap coming against the usa earlier in the year um he scored three tries this season and got 15 points for ulster uh johnny Sexton, captain um pretty sure he was captain last year but I'm not 100 percent on that um yeah, he'll be in his hundred and second cap, which is pretty pretty brilliant. And he's on nine hundred and forty-six career points going into the tournament. Um so I think it's realistic to think he might get a thousand points. Uh well like reach that milestone um in the next five games, considering that he's the number ten, he's gonna be getting conversions, penalties all over the place. Um 63 points in eight games uh, in the league and he's looking pretty good uh, Ireland also had the benefit of being at home um against Wales tomorrow uh, they lost last year away yeah like away in Cardiff um, but we haven't lost at home to Wales since 2016 um and we're one to seven favorites to win the game um so I can't see that uh well not working out for us um also if you look at previous results would be well from the third of july going on uh we've won thirty nine thirty one over japan seventy one ten over the u s a um sixty five over japan twenty uh twenty nine to twenty over the all blacks fifty three seven over Argentina. Like I I can't see Ireland slipping up. I think if we're gonna win it, it'll be it'll be this year.
0: Well what about Wales? Because yeah. Wales are the current uh, uh, champions of the Six Nations because they didn't win a Grand Slam last year because it was really, really, really tight. Because I believe that Italy finished with a wooden spoon with no points and then England were second bottom. Which is really disappointing for like the English, considering the squad that they have. I know, I know, most of us in here will laugh at that. Um, then after that, I think it was, um, it was Scotland, Scotland, Ireland.
1: We were in four Yes.
0: Yeah, Scotland, Ireland, who had the same amount of points, then France, and then Wales. Because Wales were going to come into this tournament thinking that they've got a chance. Do they not have a chance?
1: Uh, well, as I said, uh, they definitely do have a chance. You can't write them off. They were written off last year and uh, they basically just turned that up. And they were helped by some I believe in multiple of them matches. Uh, the opposition received red cards, so they were playing against 14 men for a large portion of the game, which definitely contributed. But they you can't write them off whatsoever. Uh they are missing out on Alan Wynne Jones and George North, who won't be who miss at least um sorry, a majority of the games at the tournament, if not all. So missing out on those players is probably why a lot of people aren't tipping them. Uh, however I do think with the bookies they're actually ahead of Scotland in the odds to win. I uh, think we we are um, ninety one and then the only team worse than us is Italy at a thousand to win.
0: So, what you're telling me is Italy have got a chance, yeah?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is take your savings account out, stick it all on Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds sounds like an idea.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) Who is going to win the Six Nations then?
2: I'd say Scotland. Just just hope. Just say Scotland. I I think it's the... We're good... um, the yeah. Autumn internationals were alright. We managed to beat um, Australia, which is brilliant. Um which apparently was the, the first time we've beaten them in three consecutive games since the eighties, which is decent. Uh, we up up sixty against Tonga. Uh we did lose quite well, relatively heavy against South Africa and beat Japan, but it was a good it was a good uh, South Africa
1: are the world champions, so there's no shame in that at all. Yeah, but it's
2: yeah, that's it was a totally, you know, acceptable result and you know, thirty to fifteen it's, it wasn't it wasn't a, like a, a washout. It was right. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be close, I think. Well, obviously, other than Italy, we we'll, we'll maybe won't put too much money on Italy. But yeah, no, it does look like it could be close. Um, the good thing, I was just looking at Scotland's pictures there just to see, and because you're expected to be Italy no matter what, it's quite handy that we travel there this year so we can have home games against England, which I think uh, the crowd will be well up for it. And um, obviously, we have undefeated in three against them. Uh, we've got France, at home the favourites, which is also good to have them. Uh, here at uh, Murrayfield um, but uh, yeah no so second place like I've said it's probably a realistic target to try and set for ourselves
1: the one thing is that we do have Ireland and Wales away and we haven't won at Ireland since I think 2011 and we've not won in Cardiff since 2000 so this, pretty much this whole millennium
0: well, those records are there to be broken lads Uh I believe so. Uh, I'm guess to uh, so Thomas, are you going to say Ireland are going to win it, or do you fancy France or England? You know, I I know
3: that if I say Ireland, we're gonna like I'm just going to jinx it. Um. <coughs> yeah, and based on that, I'll say France will do. It. They've got a very young squad. Uh, they were brilliant last year. Um, and we're unfortunate not to get it. Uh, I think it was Scotland who stopped them. Um, Yes, it was. So, but yeah, I I think they're going to have a great tournament. Um, And so I'm going to say it will either be Ireland or France, but I can't say between them.
0: Um, So shall we move on from the Six Nations and we'll tackle what's going on else at the weekend, which is the FA Cup fourth round. It's a result! Kinavista Harriers will join the list of FA Cup giant killers. They will move into the fourth round of the FA Cup. They've knocked out two-time FA Cup semi-finalists Reading, and they've done it the hard way as well. This is the this isn't my favourite round of the FA Cup. The third round is always my favourite for the FA Cup. But there's a couple of tasty-looking ties here. So we've still got the uh, non-league representative of Kinavista they are playing West Ham. Um, after watching the uh, Kenemister versus Redden, um, the the whole Kenemister stadium feels like it could be a banana skin for West Ham. I don't know if West Ham will play the full strength squad or not, but Kenemister performed well against them. Uh, against Redden, Redden actually took the lead. Uh, it was a really good goal. Um, and then after that, Kenemister came back and got. Very, very two very cup goals of one of the, a boy shot from the left hand side of the box and it went through the goalkeeper's arms and I got them the equaliser and then a scrappy corner got them the winner. So, um, what do you call it? so anybody got any thoughts on who could if West Ham will slip up here?
3: I would love to say that Keraminster will win it, but I just can't see it happening. Uh, West Ham, their form recently hasn't been great, but I think with the likes of Jared Bowen and Declan Rice, like I can't, I can't see them losing it. Uh, that new is is he from Czech Republic, uh, Blavich? Like he's been brilliant since coming in. Um. So, although I'd love to say Kilmenser will take it, I think it'll be a close game. But
2: I think West Ham will nick it. I think they'll, they'll be helped out by the fact that uh, I don't know for sure, but I'd imagine Mikel Antonio will be missing it. He was starting on Thursday night for Jamaica. Um, he started a few days before that and scored for them. Um, it was a really well-taken penalty. Uh, he's obviously, there's only two, sorry, three players in the Premier League who have scored more than Antonio this season. Um, and just the sheer physicality of the guy, I'm sure he would badge his way through the, the non-league boys, so they'll be delighted that he's likely going to miss. Again, I'm, I'm not not certain, but um, yeah, you normally you normally take a while after being on international duty, especially when you're overseas. Um, so it would be amazing. And like you said, Craig, I mean, the, it's the ground. That's what makes it. You know, if this game was if it had been reversed and this was getting played at the London Stadium or you know, Wembley, one of your bigger stadiums, the legs of the non-league players will go. Um, you know probably by the hour mark but it's a proper cup tie isn't it it's a great well, cup tie you know a giant like that and a, just in a wee ground like that and you know that it could be the, the only time a lot of those you know young uh, kind mr fans get to see you know premier league names and international stars declan rice all this um yeah so it should be a great afternoon for them uh, i'd love to see a, a cup upset
0: yeah i do love a good cup upset We'll go to the next game, which I've got here. It's uh, Spurs versus Brighton. Uh, One of the uh, few all-Premier League ties. Um, Spurs last year, I believe, were out by Norwich. uh, And I think that was on penalties. So, Spurs are kind of... They're in the top four race, but the problem is now is that West Ham are there, Manchester United are there, Arsenal are all there, and there's only one place. So, for the Especially with Tottenham now being out of Europe, this is a huge game for them to like win a trophy because that's what Conte's been brought in to do, is he has to go and make Tottenham successful. He has, um, and then after that you've got Brighton, and Brighton are like I think everybody's secret favourite team, in which when you're watching them. They play good football, they're attractive, they're always on the front foot. It's never a boring game. When it's Brighton versus Liverpool, you always feel like Brighton are going to score or create chances. They got a very credible draw against um, Chelsea, I think, when Danny Welbeck scored. Um, so they'll always be in it. So this this could be a very, very, very good game, I think, anyway. What about you guys?
2: Yeah, um, like you said, Brighton, Great to watch. Uh, you always see um, Graham Potter getting tipped for the England job. He's always in the running uh, with the bookies. And I, to be honest with you, if that happens, I, I really would get quite a, quite a fright at how good England could be. The way he's got Brighton playing, just imagine what you could do with you know um, Phil Foden and Bound, Rice, Kane, all these Sterling players like this. It's, it's scary to think uh, how dangerous it could be if they, if they got how many. He's, he's doing really well with Brighton. Um, one of the worries for Tottenham, I think, is their, their uh, winter transfer window. They seem to like move a lot of players. And particularly midfielders, uh, Tango and Ndombele went back to Lyon, just on loan. Uh, they were all loans, in fact. Gio Lo went on loan to Villarreal, although he probably wouldn't make it anyway. He was on international national duty a couple of days ago. Uh, Brian Heal, I can't remember where they signed him, but they, they sent him back out to, to Valencia. Uh, even though he's only just signed. They, they did bring in a couple of players. Uh, Rodrigo Bentoncourt from UV and Kulievski, also from UV. Um Kulievski's more of a, a winger, but it's a bit of a worry in the, the centre of the park. Spurs, um, there's obviously still like Hoyberg, who's who's more defensive. And he winks who, uh, I don't know, I, I think a solar eclipse comes around more often than he passes the ball forward. Um, he's very, <laughs> very reserved. <laughs> um, so I would, I would worry about that for Tottenham. Uh, but... They do a bigger first-to-pride, first like you said, Craig. I think they're chasing top four Champions League. And Conte, he's a, a natural winner, but I think he would rather get into the Champions League than you know, uh, the FA Cup, I think.
0: So, would you say that success for Tottenham this year is getting that fourth position or winning an FA Cup?
2: And Almost any other team, you would probably say, yeah, that's what they want. Uh, Man United would love to do that. Chelsea would love to do that. Um, obviously, teams like Wolves, West Ham, teams who don't get a Champions League football ever. But this, it's starting to creep up on them talking them now, you know, the, the, the length of not having a trophy, 2009 when they won the League Cup, and uh, my brother, he's an Arsenal fan and he gets a lot of joy out of the fact that even though they've been to the Champions League final and they've been in the Champions League more frequently than Arsenal, that they've still that they've not won anything, and obviously, since they've been in that, that brand new stadium. But, uh, no, I I think Conte wants the Champions League, I think those players want the Champions League, and the Champions League could keep Harry Kane um, at the Tottenham Stadium, but uh, the fans, they're they wanting a trophy, you can tell.
0: Well, uh, shall we move on to another all-Premier League tie of Everton versus Brentford? Brentford have been that surprise package in the Premier League that have came up, I think, similar to the way that Sheffield United were a few years ago, and like Wigan were as well for a time. Um Everton has just got a new manager after sacking Benitez and it's Frank Lampard. Is that a good appointment? Uh
3: yeah, I think it's a great move for for them. Um considering the youth of some of the players that are coming through Everton at the moment. Like we saw how well Frank Lampard managed it at Chelsea. Uh bringing like uh Hudson Adoy through, Tomori, and so many, and Mason Mount, of course, and how far those players have come on since then. Um, Everton have got players such as Gordon on the wing, and I think he's really, really going to benefit from having Frank Lampard there. Uh, Everton got two really great signings um, on the last day of the transfer window. I think bringing players like Deli Ali in will be really strong for them, and. I wouldn't ride them off for this game. I think it'll be exciting.
0: There's also the controversy with Ivan Tony from Brentford. Of what did he, I believe he called uh, Brentford well crap uh, on a on a on an Instagram video or a TikTok video. Um, so what does that put Brentford? Because he is their star striker. He is their main man. Will he play?
1: Uh, I think he, they can't afford not to play him. He's their best player. Uh, The video also, it seems as if he's been caught out a little bit. I feel like someone's been trying to set him up a little bit there. You can see in the video, he's sort of, if he definitely shouldn't be saying that, (laughs) no chance. But um, Brentford can't afford not to play him. He's their best striker. And I think they'll struggle for goals without him. And without him, I don't think they would have had this sort of run of form they've had so far. I feel like they might have been candidates to go down.
0: Well, saying that, but now they've seen Christian Eriksen as well. So, like, that's a huge coup for them. So, like, he can maybe add a bit of, like, go threat and, like, assist, especially to somebody if Tony does play, like Tony.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking that, the Christian Eriksen thing. I mean, no about what happens in this cup tie, uh, if he if he plays, I'd, I'd love to just hear a roar every time he touches the ball. If he comes on, I want to see everybody on their feet. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, what he had to go through uh, in the summer and it's just just amazing that he gets to play again i actually saw um bt sport tweeted the other day saying that the shirt jerseys are 30 times the usual demand at this time of the year for brentford and um, with the christian ericsson 21 on the back of the shirts the biggest day of kit sales trading outside of kit launch days in brentford history um and 21 different countries in 24 hours uh, Christian Eriksen in Brentford jerseys. It's brilliant, everybody supporting him. And yeah, be, I mean, if he scored that'd be just brilliant. And he's always got that chance, he's a set piece taker. Um he might not be at his fittest if he's not played much, although he was training with Ajax, he was training obviously with Brentford before he signed. So ugh, that's the dream. I mean, that's a cup story in itself. If he can score the winner. I think that's that would that would eclipse uh even a kid and minster against West Ham win.
0: Yeah, no, I no, I agree with that. Um I'm hoping that he gets his fitness back and manages to get to the World Cup because obviously Denmark have qualified for that. So I'd love to see him at the World Cup and like, Denmark are a good team and have a chance to like, do what they did at the Euros and get pretty far. Um, we're all, I guess we're all supporting here for Christian Eriksen. Um, the last game I want to talk about is at Old Trafford and it's tonight. It's Manchester United versus Middlesbrough. Um, as a Manchester United fan, The amount of times I've heard, oh, Manchester United have turned a corner since Sir Alex has left, I'd be, if I had a a penny for it, I'd be a very rich man right now. This is going to be an interesting one. Manchester United are, well, still in the Champions League, still fighting for top four, but we haven't won a trophy since, I think it's either 2018 or 2019, and I think Mourinho won it, and I think it was the Europa League. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a chance to win a trophy for Manchester United just now is a huge thing. Um, so, how do you see this one going?
1: Um, so, I can only see United winning the game. Uh, they should be taking the cup seriously. Um, as you said, they have turned the corner. But um, United have been turning the corner so long, it's just a big circle. And it just keeps <laughs> circling back to the same point. <laughs> but... Um, I feel like they've got to prioritise the Cups now. Um, Champions League will be their big priority. Uh, I could see them actually making a run just the way Ronaldo is. He seems capable of dragging a team through knockout ties, even if the league form isn't the best. Um, The squad will be a little... It does seem a little depleted after the transfer window, though, Um, because there's obviously outside circumstances that have affected it, but Lingard had to stay because they didn't have the backup. Uh was talk that he's unhappy about staying because he was told that he could leave. And so there is a little bit of unrest, but they should be able to see off Middlesbrough. Uh, just have enough about them, uh, a bit more quality. Uh, but it could, if it's nothing each with about 20 minutes to go, it could get very, it could get very tight for United.
0: I'm worried because uh, Chris Woeller's teams are normally very well set up. He came out jokingly saying that there should be a ban for Cristiano Ronaldo in FA Cup games. Um, he obviously really doesn't want to verse him at this point in time. So, is there anything else you gentlemen want to talk about Like the end of the transfer window?
3: Um, I just wanted to sort of end it on the Man United game as well. I just wanted to add, like, I, I'm predicting, like, a 1-1 draw in this game. I think there's going to be a really weird feeling around uh around Old Trafford after what happened with Mason Greenwood and and I think it's gonna have thrown the players a little bit they're they're not gonna be uh they're not gonna be relaxed going into the game um as it came as a bit of a shock to everyone so yeah I can see it being a 1-1 draw and going back to Middlesbrough for the replay
0: I don't think there is replays just now because of the Covid uh, fixture congestion. I think it goes to extra time.
2: That's a better way to, to okay. deal with it anyway. Um, another one of the players that uh, you can probably tell by now that I watched a lot of the World Cup qualifiers uh, during the week. I was watching Uruguay midweek and Cavani actually netted for Uruguay, which is brilliant, um, against Venezuela. Uh, so they are pushing, they're higher up the table now. They're now into fourth, uh, which is the top four to qualify, fifth goes into a playoff. Um, but yeah, so he'd played, that was Wednesday night, uh, so he's likely to miss tonight as well, uh, Van de Beek it's just, that's a shame because he sat on the bench with his face tripping him and this is the exact kind of game he would have walked into the starting 11 uh, but it's a good chance for Van to give some of the younger guys games, Alanga's looked fantastic when he's been given a chance um, the young lad Zidane got a, a different name, but we'll just call him Zidane because it's a great name for us. A, a midfielder uh, Iqbal. he's a uh, He's, he's, you know, he could look this, to play this game. Um, and, and Lingard, I know there's a bit of controversy because he, he wanted to leave. And uh, Man United are now without a forward, a young forward and that. Um, but Lingard, this could be the game he gets thrown into and, and gets a bit of you know, backing from Ranić and he can kind of get his career back on track at United. Because uh, you never know if, you know, some of these players are going to return. Uh, Van de Beek, if he enjoys his spell with Lampard ever and he might not come back and then... Uh, as, as you guys have mentioned, you know, there are other issues with players who might not return, so it's um, it's going to be a, a strange side to set up tonight, but we good to see a young side, and, and then uh, yeah, especially at home, a young team playing at home against the lower league side, it should be enough to just kind of ease them into it, uh, but Middlesbrough won't sit down, they're a good side.
1: Could be a good game to get Sancho firing as well, <laughs> if he could maybe grab a goal or a, a goal and an assist, could maybe get him back on track, because he's not exactly set the world on fire so far but he's a very talented player he might just need that little bit of confidence uh, to get him going
2: Yeah, the, the whole Sancho saga kind of feels like you mentioned Gavin with Magnetic going around in circles and it's, every week it seems like if Sancho's getting a start okay, this could be the game you know, this might be the game he has scored the odd goal and he has looked dangerous in, in little spells but it just it feels like it's, it's you're trying to start a chainsaw it's making that noise but you've not got it going yet sticking away and it's making that noise but ah, you're not cutting through anything yet so um, yeah he's it, not
1: quite like that chainsaw form he had at Dortmund where he was, Oh
2: no where he just cut through everything and everybody and oh, just relentless um, no, it would be great for him to get a couple goals tonight or a couple assists and get going yeah,
1: yeah. Um, on that as well Dortmund, the fans when he left said he was the best player they've seen come through there in a long time and think of the ground that covers the players that have actually come through Dortmund uh, you have got Lewandowski, you got um, Dan Bailey was there as well. You just got a lot, so much talent, for them to back him that much, I just think if he can kick on, he will be a good signing for Man United. But how long did you say that about Pogba? And it just didn't work as well. So it's it's just a wait and see situation. Definitely. Right, I
0: think we'll call that there, gentlemen. Uh, I have been Craig. Uh, this has been the Student of the Game Podcast, so it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Kane,
2: goodbye, folks,
0: goodbye from Gavin,
2: goodbye,
0: and goodbye from Thomas, goodbye, take care. All right, this has been the Students of the Game podcast. Like, follow, and subscribe, and rate five stars on Spotify. Okay, cheers, bye bye.